When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code DAN for a special offer when you sign up. That's code DAN, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. We like getting inside the business machine with these two guys because they've had a unique access to some of the things in the industry. John Skipper and David Sampson will lead us through some of the news items over the last month that have been interesting that they would have a unique uh, viewpoint on. Welcome, gentlemen. I want to start with what Apple TV is doing because it's not just assorted baseball games here and there, John. It's also now being the front runner on uh, all things DirecTV related. So you make what of Apple making its way into, uh, into live sports? I think that owning NFL's Sunday ticket is one of the few ways to assuredly drive more subscriptions. Uh, and I think that's what they're trying to do here, right? They're trying, I mean, they're trying to become one of the big content providers. And the surest thing you could have is the NFL and the NFL Sunday ticket proved with DirecTV, you can drive subs. And I think that's what they're trying to do. I think it's smart. The math has to be pretty hard on that, John, though because they're not exactly getting a discount for the Sunday ticket. The way I could argue they got a discount for the baseball games, though I'm not sure exactly what sort of sub revenue you're gonna drive from having a baseball game every now and again. But uh, what, what's the math for you? What, what is the pay that you pay back you need? Are you willing to go out five years in your projections to, to even have a shot or what, what would if you If I may, let me do? explain to the audience here. So Apple is talking about 2.5 billion a year, right? Is what they're talking about. Uh, well. I don't think Apple's talking about any money. The reports are that they will pay $2.5 billion but for Sunday ticket and other, other NFL stuff. You negotiated one of these for ESPN. What did you pay for Monday Night Football? So the last Monday Night Football deal I worked on was just short of $2 billion a year for 17, 17 18 games. I can't quite remember. And is it worth it? Uh, yeah, it's worth it. Yeah, and and David's right. If you just do the math of we're paying two and a half billion, do they receive two and a half billion dollars worth of subscription fees? Probably do not. But it is, and I'm now going to be on David's side of this, who reminds me often of the materiality of things, and he's right. With a company that's worth a trillion dollars and has some astonishing amount of cash in the bank, doesn't really matter. They do a eight-year deal and it's what's that 16 uh, 20 billion dollars and they only do 17 billion in sub revenue it's okay right they're building they're actually not building for PL here they're building for stock price market valuation uh and overall ebitda i'm fascinated with what you just said because as it let's say we're shareholders of apple and you are just acknowledging having done these deals that the shareholder value takes a back seat to some of the other 
maybe not as measurable results that you can get. And this is an example of people wanting to attach themselves to the NFL as though there's some sort of golden aura that surrounds it, that if you're associated with it, that all of a sudden people view you as real. It's, it's, it reminds me of the old days when Fox first started. To get legitimate, they wanted live sports. And so is that where Apple is? Because to me, I'm about shareholder value. They don't need any more than they have. They, they need content because I get that, but I want it to be a, a good business deal. That's my only concern with them overbidding on this Sunday ticket issue. So explain that to us, John. Explain to us what the value. You're saying that billions of dollars is so in the margins that Apple can just buy football because it wants to say it bought football. And and the money doesn't have to matter because to Apple, you've got so much money that it doesn't matter. Well, I was saying it's an immaterial loss. I do still believe they will get value from it. And that's what David's talking about is the halo value brand association and that those things will be perceived they also need to have a perception that Apple TV Plus is working. There is nothing that more validates that your service is working. And and David is right. ESPN built their business largely on getting a full season of Monday Night Football. Fox absolutely built their broadcast value on having the NFL. When NBC lost the NFL, it created great value deterioration for them and they got it back when they got Sunday night football and a very good deal from the NFL. It created a halo for them. Sports has long been a lost leader. These deals don't all have to by themselves make money, right? But you can see what, why as a team executive, it's music to our ears to hear you say that. Because what you are saying is you're willing to overpay you, not you, John, you with the capital Y. Mm -hmm. content providers are willing to overpay and it's only getting better for teams as we're seeing with deals in all of these different sports now because live content is not DVR proof and that concept didn't exist 30 years ago. You know, you could put a VHS tape in an old VHS recorder, but you had to be home to record it. And then you had to stop it or hope that there wasn't some sort of delay. I'm sure people listening may not remember that, but those were stressful times trying to get it right. And now things just automatically record, but no one wants to do that with sports. And therefore people like you, capital Y, are willing to say, ah, value, schmalu, who cares? We're going to pay the money. It's so great. <laughs> it's so great well, to be at the NFL as a business when that is what you bring into every room. Uh, it is, though they've done a good job of maximizing it because there are limits. Now I want to turn this on David because I enjoy this. Did you do individual P&Ls on every player deal you did? We marked every player to market at the end of every season. Well, that's mark to mark to market is different than whether or not it was a P&L was a, a positive P&L. So I'll give you the math on this because the answer is yes. And, and people don't believe me when, when this level of detail, people have a saying when they're watching sports, hey, this guy draws a crowd. This is must-see TV. You know, Dontrell Willis, people are coming to games to watch him pitch, or Jose Fernandez, or any, 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 any player, big player. Giancarlo stands the best example. No one bought a ticket to watch Giancarlo play. They just didn't. And so the math is in baseball, it's about $4 million net. And I, when I say net, I mean net, 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 net of revenue sharing, net of all of your expenses, your overhead, it's $4 million 
per 100,000 butts in the seats. That is the math mm-hmm. of the Marlins and many of the other teams out there. So if you are marking your players to market and you have overpaid a player by $4 million, you have to say that that player generated 100,000 people during the course of the season just by himself. And I didn't come across in all of the years, almost two decades, of any player who would generate an additional 5,000 per game, let's say, 80 home games, that could be 400,000 people. You could sign them for 16 million more. So John, we did do mark to market. We did P&L value and it does not add up. And we would fight with the baseball side and I'd have to fight with the owner who didn't want to hear this. I wanted to talk to you guys about something because before you came in here, John, you were railing uh, against baseball's uh, reluctance to change its ways in order to adapt to the times and what the fans want. And I was curious if you wanted to share those opinions with David, because I don't know if David would be defensive about uh, trying to protect time-honored traditions, given that he was an anarchist in that sport, always begging these old dudes to change, and they would they were just deeply I, reluctant to change. I, I, would, I would be interested to hear, and certainly I wouldn't challenge David, and I agree with your assessment there, I think overall baseball wallows too much in their tradition and past. I mean, for God's sake, the managers still wear uniforms, you know. That's funny. There's no reason for the managers to wear no. uniforms and and we should have a you, you should have a top 10 here as the That's 10 funny. No, baseball funny. managers who should not be in a uniform. It's ridiculous. I, I'll start with Bob Lemon. We yes, should so never have been in a baseball Gra- uniform Little. after he retired. But yeah, I think baseball is reluctant to force the game to be the game that current fans want to see. Basketball plays the game that they think their fans want to Changing see. Changing the rules for the fans. And they change the rules for the fans. Do you I know the background of that, John? Do you know the background of managers wearing uniforms? No, no, but uh, no, please. It's pretty good. Enlighten me. It's the only sport where the coach slash manager ever takes the field. You mean comes onto the field? Yeah, they're they're on the they're on the field of play. Well, so what? Uh, when a, when a football man, coach walks over the sidelines, he's on the field of play. No, no, no. Come, wait a minute. NFL coaches do not go to the middle of the field to make a change at quarterback. MLB managers go onto the field to make a pitching change, which is another old-timey tradition that doesn't need to happen. That's true, Last too. Last time I That's checked, true. we have communication devices now that would allow you to remove a pitcher without waddling out to the mound in a too tight uniform All that doesn't fit you. So the reason for the waddle is mostly to get the bullpen arm ready to go. Yeah. yeah. Because we changed the rule to shorten the number of warm-up tosses they get once they get on the field. So now what the the ramification sort of the the we didn't the unintended consequence is that managers are now waddling even slower than they used to so that the bullpen guy coming in can have a few more warm tosses. But I should take you inside a meeting and and you must have been in these meetings when you'd meet with yes. with Bud who would wax poetic about the history of baseball, but you go into an owner's meeting, it's as though you're going into a synagogue or a church, depends on on who you're in a meeting with. And they talk about baseball as though that if they do anything to change a rule, they will be sacrificing 
the history the babe babe ruth will turn over in his grave that is really their point of view right i remember having a conversation with rob manford early in his tenure as commissioner when he was bemoaning the amount of capital he has to he had to use to eliminate the bulk rule right which is just give the guy first base as opposed to having throw in four pitches and or the intentional walk. The intentional rule. walk. Intentional yeah, walk. I said balk. I meant yeah, intentional yeah. Uh-huh. walk. Who did Rob give credit for for that? Uh, I, I do not know. I, certainly not himself. But he did believe that he should try to speed the game up. That was a very but small thing. they followed him on something thing, just so And they tiny. followed him they on fun. something that is meaningless. It is just, by the way, you know this, David. Uh, the argument was, well, every now and then, one of those four pitches either gets hit or they throw it a, and the pitch and the catcher misses it and the guy takes first base. It happens well, how many times it, a year? Once or twice. It was a problem in Florida, actually, because Miguel Cabrera drove in a run on an intentional walk. And it's one of the most famous plays in Marlins history when he swung at an intentional ball and he drove in a run. I don't know if you remember that, Dan, but it I was, do remember it was that, very, but, very but, famous. But, but John Skipper's point is the correct one, which is oh, if, of you're, course. if you're fighting on this tiny, meaningless thing in the event that every once in a while Miguel Cabrera is going to, you're denying the people of Miguel Cabrera single that David Sampson is still talking about 15 years later on an intentional walk. Uh, you're saying change the rule, just change the rule, speed it up. But he's yeah. saying, I can't fight all these people all the time. I'm the commissioner and I need to fight them on the smallest thing. So here's thing. the background of that is I submitted a document as part of the competition committee with all sorts of rule changes that I wanted to see. It was like a treatise. It was like a, mission, a Jerry Maguire mission statement. And the only one that they were willing to put forward into the committee was eliminating the intentional walk. And I was told by Rob at the time that he didn't have the votes to go after anything deeper, anything more significant, and that this would be an easy pass because the Miguel Cabrera situation is so rare. I was willing to give up the Miguel Cabrera situation. I wanted it immediately, and it does speed up the game. They did a whole study. Oh my God, John, they gave us a one-inch binder on the ramifications of the four-pitch intentional walk eliminated it. They talked about how much time it would save in games, and it was de minimis, how many intentional walks there are per game, per season, what the number of seconds saved, and it turned out to be so meaningless incrementally that that's how they got the votes. Yeah. Well, it's the, look, I, again, I've always heard of the discussion about Billy Bean. People weren't happy. He shared all these secrets. Baseball let the analyst, the analytics run their game. The other leagues did not, right? The other leagues, when they figure out that a three-point basket m- matters a lot in, in the NBA, they, they're okay with it, right? They have the mid-range jump shot doesn't matter anymore. In baseball, they've let the analytics guys run the game, right? They all move the infield over and, and you know, yet nine guys on the left side of the field. Not nine, I guess. Pardon me. Right. I thought the reason was a little deeper, actually, in, in what the other sports do. You can go back to in the NBA, and there was a clear problem that David Stern had that he believed that the, the on-court game was not representative of what he wanted the image of the NBA to be. So the the teams of Pat Riley when he was with the Knicks and the bad boy Pistons, and it really culminated in the malice at the palace where they were like, we got to stop this. And so they made it a more offensive game. And I just did a tweet about this. Everybody's scoring 120, 130 points in the playoffs. It makes me crazy. Playoff games should be 84 to 78, but no one wants to watch that. They want the open. And those 
are the rules that get changed. And that's what we try to do, do in baseball. The fans want a faster game. They want more action, but the owners are unwilling to change to allow it. Whereas in football and in basketball, they listen to what fans want and they give them what they want. John, what do you make of what's happened with the Washington Commanders recently? The invitation for congressional oversight, the having to deny financial improprieties, where it seems like this sounds like a mafia story, the keeping of two books. Uh, th it sounds like they're doing something uh, uh, criminal and not, uh, you know, not sharing with this is the reports, right? That they're not sharing what revenue is supposed to be shared between the owners. And now they've got uh, Daniel Snyder kicked off to the side and Washington snooping around in his finances. You make what of this story? Uh, I'm not sure I know enough specifically about the revenue sharing issue. I don't understand that. If you ask me whether or not the Washington management group has displayed the kind of behavior that would engender a dramatic trust in me, I would suggest I'm skeptical. Those leaked emails, for instance, are pretty horrendous. They're not wanting to make them public would strike me as being they're wanting to hide something. So do I immediately have some incredulity that the commanders are in command of all the truth they need to be? I do not. So the interesting thing about the commanders is that in football, they also have revenue sharing. But unlike baseball, they share a gate. Right. So a road team gets 40% of the home gate. And that 40% goes into a pool and gets split amongst all the owners. And the team at home supplies a spreadsheet with the amount of gate revenue for a particular game. And then that money then gets divided amongst the other 31 owners. And what is being alleged by someone who worked for the commanders is that what the Washington commanders did is they said that there was revenue that wasn't part of a football game. It was actually part of a college football game, an Army-Navy game, or a concert, a Kenny Chesney concert, because any ticket revenue for those non-NFL games in your stadium, that doesn't get shared with the other owners. Much like in baseball, when we have revenue, local revenue, when we get Guns N' Roses to do a concert or Pitbull or whoever else, that is non-baseball related revenue. We don't have that count as revenue for the Marlins. So what the alleged crime here, if you could call it a crime, I would call it a, a fancy, fancy footwork with your accounting, is saying that 5,000 people who were at the game against the Giants, they actually weren't at the game, wink, wink. They went to the college football game. So we're taking their $100 per ticket and we're putting all that in a place we don't have to share. What the commanders are saying, because now they're being investigated by the FTC, because it would be an unfair practice if they did that, or in addition, they're being accused of not refunding money owed to fans. The FTC has a great interest in this, but the real story is Roger Goodell and the other owners who are finally looking for a reason to get rid of Danny. And believe me, if he took a dollar from one of the other owners, he's done. He'll have to sell his team. John, why don't spring football leagues work? Uh, because they're not the NFL. And uh, I think every no, people are not much interested in seeing a secondary professional football league, right? Among other things, there's great college football. There's plenty of great football. I'm sure people miss it in the spring. I don't think they miss it enough 
to watch a different football league that doesn't have players in it who they know and love. But when you're doing programming, John, and you come up with a show that gets 3 million viewers, is that a failure for you? Not necessarily. It depends on the structure, economic structure of the league. It's not a failure, but everybody has expectations. Plus, they got 3 million people to watch the first game. Right? <laughs> right? Yes. yes. The, the right. Fox NBC opening games got 3 million viewers, and these they always take a dive right after that. Yeah, and, and eventually these, uh, I mean, I was never a big believer in spring professional football. And never, you never saw ESPN there sort of with the XFL or the USFL. And I still don't believe that they're going to be dramatically successful. Dave is not wrong. 3 million is a lot of people to watch. But uh, but a football team is also expensive to field, right? It's a lot of people. Well, but their financial model is totally different than the NFL salaries. Mm-hmm. There's no Deshaun Watsons. There's no wide receivers getting seventy million guaranteed. But aren't these networks? Weren't you always looking for more content? I mean, ESPN during the lockout is showing the Korean baseball league, right? Mm-hmm. So isn't any sort of live content? And if you can have some of that halo from football, don't you try to go for it if you're a broadcast network? Uh, Yeah, I don't see any reason not to go for it. I'm simply answering Dan's question that I don't believe it will ultimately be a big deal. And you just said it. There's no Deshaun Watson. It's a different financial model. You're not watching even the second best football. The second best football is played in the SEC. How quickly would you give up, John? I'm sorry, Dan. How quickly would you give up on this league? Uh, I don't know enough about the league to give up that quick. I gave up on it already. I don't believe it'll work. <laughs> a lot has changed over the years, but you know one thing that has the great taste of Miller Lite. Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall, I, I don't even go for the, the regular 12 ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16 ounce cans. They usually come in a four packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler, you put some ice on top. The moment you take it out and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can, a beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Let's switch to more difficult subject matter. NBA games. NBA games, yes, after one game or a couple of games. Yeah, a couple of games, not many games. NBA games are returning to Chinese state TV. Uh, How do we get more scrutiny on the league as it tries to go business as usual with China after after some pretty despicable stuff happened around Daryl Morey and, and, and a bunch of people going into hiding because he had the audacity to put out a tweet that was critical, uh, that fought for democracy? I think these are very, very difficult questions. You remember the commissioners work for a group of owners. Those owners want more money, so they want to be in China. Now, now we're well into geopolitics as opposed to sports, right? Which is the question of, we have believed as a country since Nixon opened China, I'm not quite sure what opened mean, but Richard Nixon went into China. We as a country believe that if we engage the Chinese and the Russians in doing business with us, eventually they'll come over to our way of thinking and our way of life and democracy and we'll be better off. That's not what this is about. This is about whether it's an appropriate thing to do to try to make more money for your owners by working with an authoritative dictatorship, state-controlled country whose leader says his goal is to see the end of Western hegemony and to see a rise of Chinese dominance in the future. So it's a legitimate question to ask, how much should we support that leader in opening up his country, bringing things in that have economic benefit for him? I'm, I'm personally have come to the belief that our trying to win over the Chinese leaders to our way of life and our way of business is misguided. So what the owners are trying to do is hold off on the end of Western civilization until they can sell their team. That's sort of the thought process, which is it may happen, but just not while we're owning the team. I just want to stop for one second and enjoy what David just said, because that is oh, it's brilliant. No, it's that, that selfish. Is brilliant. It is that selfish. Of course it is. It's in Don't Look Up. It's the billionaires mining the asteroid before it destroys the Earth. Like, yes, freedom will fall, but not before we get a few dollars uh, on our way out the door. You're making it sound, and I don't want to be the capitalist guy on this call, because the irony, John, of being with you on a call with that being the threshold is funny to me, but you're making it sound as though it's so bad. What the NBA is doing with China, they it, it's so old already. It's not big news, the business they do with China. It, it go, What about the relationship they have with Nike? So you, where do you stop that? They've got their most marketable worldwide player, Michael Jordan, who basically his entire Jordan brand, which is a, what is it, a $50 billion brand now? It's all based on people in working conditions that if that happened at an Amazon facility in Grand Rapids, Michigan, there would be a cry out like you wouldn't believe. Well, and that's the only thing I'm saying. It is nevertheless worth holding people to certain standards and certain scrutiny as to whether their business practices are ultimately ethical, ultimately good for, the, for other people. 
But you went. But how would you do it? You went macro on opening free trade to China and and Nixon. You went macro, but once that gate is opened, and once all of American business is running through those gates, why single out the NFL uh, or the NBA for doing business with China? I was only answering the question in which the only <laughs> company you asked me about was the NBA. I don't think the NBA is a bad actor here, right? I think for the most part, bringing basketball to Chinese people is a good thing. I'm not against it, but I do think with the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, the world has united in abhorrence to this. If you were asking me what the greater macro geopolitical issue of our country is right now, it's China, not Russia. Russia has proved to be a bit of a toothless tiger here. Putin will be after me now. I'll need some security. You, you, we need to figure out how to put that in the metal art budget. But uh, I want to talk about a couple okay. of things going Hold on. We're doing a metal art budget now. Can we get to other stuff before you get to your security over, over uh, yes. Ukraine and your view of Putin? Yeah, I'm, I'm okay. I think I'm, I'm safe. Hello, John. Yes. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> Can you guys walk us through the amount of money being spent on broadcasters? Let's start with information guys. Adam Schefter and Woj reportedly $9 million a year, $7 million a year, uh, respectively. Uh, why are you shaking your head, uh, Samson? Because I, I better hear John say that he would have paid that money for them. What, for Schefter and Wojciechowski? Yeah, yep. absolutely. Schefter has nine, uh, somewhere between nine and 10 million followers. That's valuable. I mean, what's valuable to ESPN? Sports rights and news. That's that's their business. And, and those they've two got the sources. Yeah. They, people, they, they have information. People are going to them for information on the NFL. Who's injured? Who's playing there? Gamblers are using it. Fantasy players are using it. General fans, people who aren't even fans who want to be able to be conversant with their families, follow them in order to talk about the NFL. It is so valuable to ESPN that there's no way they were going to leave that platform for a gambling network. It was all just done to try to get more money. And given the numbers, I'd have to say they did a good job with Jimmy. I think that this is a good piece of business. They're important. They're valuable to ESPN and they paid them what they needed to pay them to keep them. Does it matter journalistically, John? You are somebody who is well-read. You're somebody who cares about journalism. Does it matter journalistically? You're, you're somebody who tried to bring journalism to ESPN and old-school journalism, newspaper, magazine journalism, writing to ESPN. Uh, Adam Schefter has had a rough go of it the last year uh, with ethical conundrums and, and bad form. Uh, does it hurt him at all in any way that all of this came up before his contract and he just exploded the market regardless of the credibility hits he's taken? I, I don't think it cost him anything financially, uh, any of the issues he had. David, you disagree? I totally agree that it's great fodder for talk shows. It's great fodder for people by the water cooler to say, oh, Schefter should not have been so unbelievably rude when when Haskins died and should not have talked about whether he's a good player or not and what a bad guy. And then he deleted it and then apologized. And then it's just part of the merry-go-round of social media where if you have a platform, no matter the size, there's going to be an apology and a misunderstanding somewhere along the line, if not more than once. And you just keep moving on. And that's all Adam has done each time. Can you guys tell me how I'm supposed to feel about ESPN spending $250 million on broadcasters <laughs> after asking me to give back 10% of my salary at the start of the pandemic? 
Well, they don't the, get the show. Well, they don't get the show. First of all, and second, that's how they pay for those big contracts is they make you let Chris Cody go. <laughs> right? <laughs> what? We just spent $250 million. What's Chris Cody making? <laughs> Am I not supposed to be surprised by all of a sudden ESPN, which was, you know, uh, Disney was taking a lot of hits from a lot of different sides, all of a sudden deciding to spill $250 million on Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and everything else that they have spent, uh, which suggests that they're not exactly hurting for money. Uh, well, ESPN is still doing very good business because the pay television model has not disappeared and they still have 60 million or so, I don't know the exact number, people who from, and for each of those people, they're getting about, you know, 10 or $11 a month. I don't know how much anymore, but uh, they're getting a lot of money. So they are making money. They are cut at, at the same time they're through a transition. Uh, but in this transition, they feel like they have to protect their greatest assets. It's a great case. And, and uh, David can weigh in. It's a great case where once again, the people who make the most money make more money. And in order to pay for that, a bunch of people who are perceived as less important uh, will lose their jobs or not get raises. But there's an amazing irony to all this, Dan, if I, may, if I may speculate. Let's just pretend that John Skipper will do exactly what I know he will do, and Meadowlark becomes this gargantuan, amazing, profitable multimedia company. And then you get a knock at the door. Hey, it's ESPN. Hey, Dan, how you doing? Hey, listen, we were just wondering, could we buy Meadowlark for $2.4 billion? How would you then feel? Do you think your bridge is burned with ESPN? Well, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, I, I love this company, but I guess we'd gather around together and decide if we'd accept that $2.4 billion check uh, in a secret meeting where we might also eliminate the intentional walk rule. Um, <laughs> and we'd probably agree to take it. Uh, all of it given to Greg or to Chris Cody. All of it. I'm just, just saying, Dan, that you, you can say that, that, that you're upset of their allocation of money. I didn't but say they, that. I said, it, how was I supposed to feel? Is yes, how, I did not say I was supposed to feel upset. nothing. Why would you feel anything? Uh, that is what he said. How am I supposed to feel? And uh, having dealt with Dan on uh, contract negotiations, the man was always, uh, always formidable and fair. I, I just thought I was of the impression that in some of this, somewhere, David, no matter your podcast being nothing personal or not, I'm asking, you say don't feel anything, but go it's, ahead. In the place where feelings are kept, I understand it, you might not have those readily available, David. How is one who considers themselves valuable, who made money for a company, supposed to feel about they could have paid us and continued to make plenty of money on what we were doing for them? I'm asking, how am I supposed, you're supposed to feel? to spend the rest of your career proving them wrong. Which I think he's doing a pretty good job of in the, his, in his so first <laughs> post-ESPN year. Now it is, look, it's ironic. It ESPN, go back. The Walt Disney Company has never broken the ESPN expenses out in their public disclosures. Nobody can find out how much money ESPN makes. At ESPN, we worked very hard for a long time to try to have a different marketplace at ESPN than they had other places. And so we never paid what was being paid for Al Michaels or Joe Buck or Troy Aikman. Uh, ESPN is no longer in that world. 
It's uh, at this point, they have to pay competitive market rates to get the best people. And that's what they're doing right now. Uh, some of it is pride. We talked about this before about can they make that money back? In this case, if David asked me the same question, he asked, does this pencil out? No, it doesn't pencil out. I've never said, though, that it was a bad decision. Bringing Joe Buck and Troy Aikman in will bring them some halo effect glory. They'll feel good about it. The NFL feel, will feel good about it. They're getting a better schedule in the New Deal. Life will be good. Doing that math, which doesn't make any sense, you can pay these people whatever. Why $70 million? Why can't it be $770 million? Like, it doesn't even matter. The dollars you're talking about with these leagues, there's no amount of money that's the wrong amount of money, the way that you're describing it, because if it's just halo effect and we just want to be in business with the NFL and we'll just let the NFL tell us what to pay anybody, you well, can, pay, you can well, make these contracts five times as large well, well, and not have any objection to them. The, the NFL doesn't tell you what to pay them. And by the way, one of the leagues that the NFL is in business with said, we're not participating in this. Didn't Troy Aikman say nobody at Fox talked to him? Yes. They, I don't think they made him an offer. At Fox, they decided we're going to concentrate on making the most money possible. We're going to put some other people in the booth. It won't matter on ratings or money. We'll make the money and we'll be fine. It's, it's going to be cyclical, right? Because what will happen is that we'll go through this contract with Buck and Aikman. And if there really is no halo effect or it has worn off, then what Tony Romo started, which really was to me the catalyst of this insane payments to broadcasters, I think you'll see it turn around. But if the numbers stay the same or grow, having nothing to do with the broadcasters, that's the halo effect, where then you can explain what you're paying, whether it's 70 million or 700 million or 7 billion, as long as everything's moving up and you satisfy your shareholders and everyone's keeping their jobs and getting year-end bonuses, then they'll keep, they'll keep spending money on people like that. John, do you remember the most unusual place or time that you had where you had to negotiate a piece of Disney property in exchange for a broadcaster? Because I think Joe Buck, in order to get out of the last year of his contract, there was some something that had to come. Something was traded for that, some piece of intellectual property. Do you remember having uh, many of those come up uh, at, the, at ESPN? Uh, we did. I cannot remember the specifics of many of them. I remember that when Al Michaels left to go somewhere I guess he went to nbc that yeah we got something for it i can't remember what olympic highlights or something like that But do you remember thinking creatively or fun about stuff that you might have wanted for somebody or was it just no. a silly enterprise it, just to make something happen no it just was usually something i just wanted to get done and get going with something that was more important because um, generally when people don't want to work for you you've had this before david with players if players don't want to play for you they have many ways to punish you for continuing to make you play for them. Uh, uh, people who are on air who aren't happy have many ways to punish you for that. And if they want to be somewhere else, for the most part, you're better off. We never wanted to let people out of contracts, so we usually managed to to uh, rationalize letting somebody out of the contract by going and getting something to make ourselves feel better. It usually didn't mean much. <laughs> we did it too. It's so funny. When we wanted somebody, we just would do it. We would break the rules and we would trade a player for a coach or you weren't allowed to do it. So what we did is we would trade a 
player that the other team wanted for a bag of baseballs for an NP. It's called a non-prospect. But then we'd get to sign the coach from that team. We traded a guy named Trevor Williams who ended up being a pretty good pitcher who was still pitching to get some ridiculous coach who was horrible for us. But we had to have him because he was going to make the big difference. But what you are mentioning happens, everybody does this, whether you're in sports or just living your life. You rationalize in your brain when you want something that you're willing to give up something that really you shouldn't need to give up to get it because you want it so badly. And that in, that sort of makes it all good. And that's how you can take advantage of people. Well, it's also why they, when you ask whether there's a P&L somewhere that suggests that this is a good deal, there is, right? When I hear a certain broadcaster talk about how they make money on this event, it's because they have managed to create a spreadsheet that says, well, this event we get marketing on, it helps us raise our, our uh, primetime ratings, and consequently I can afford to pay this. When you want to afford to pay something, you just do a P&L that suggests that it makes sense. Do you mean like doing an economic study which shows that public financing of a ballpark is really good for the community? That type of thing? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, high level assholery as dismount from David Sampson got $1.2 billion from our city because he was able to get what I thought was going to be the last publicly financed deal that anybody gave. And then Buffalo's is just as bad as Buffalo's deal, is Buffalo's stadium deal as bad as the one that you uh, wrestled out from under Miami's incompetence? Wait, bad for who? For the owners of the bills or bad for the people bad of Buffalo? Bad for the city, uh, bad for anybody who cares nope. about... It's the, bad for the people who live in Scarsdale. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, because it, it actually is mostly coming from New York State. I personally am a New York State resident. I pay my 9% New York State tax, so I'm helping to fund for some billionaires. I'm helping to fund the facilities for them to run their business. That's what that it you'll is. you'll never go to. That, that I will never go, go to. to. And there is no study that suggests the economic benefit is will make much difference in Buffalo. But they're proud and they want the bills to stay. I understand that. It's back to the brand halo. You're a major city. You don't want to lose an NFL team. I do not know, however, why the richest people in the United States are being subsidized and their facilities. I'm moving, We're moving into offices and... I see David making a face. Because yeah. your argument is so crazy, John. You act like sports owners are the only people who get tax incentives to do business. Everybody is getting tax benefits from the state and from the city. If you want, when we were at Morgan, when I was at Morgan Stanley, do you know this, John? Morgan Stanley threatened to move to Hoboken if they didn't get a deal for their building on 1585 Broadway. So what did the city do? They gave them tax benefits that made them stay in New York City. So it's not just sports people who are doing this. It's everybody who does this. I, I don't have any disagreement with that. But fans get mad at it all the time because uh, David Sampson, look at you, smirking because you, what do you, Silly. <laughs> what? well, it's not quite as public either, right? The Bills are going to build a stadium. It's there. It's public. If Morgan Stanley's negotiated tax breaks on their building in downtown Manhattan, it's in the New York Times for a day or two, then moves on and nobody gets excited. But your money goes to that too, and that's a building you may never go to also. That's correct. And they don't need the money either, last time I checked. They do not. They definitely don't. Guys, always enlightening. Thank you for spending time with us. I know the audience appreciates it. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, David. Thank you. Bye-bye. A lot has changed over the years, but you know one thing that hasn't? The great taste of Miller Lite. 
Another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? I pose this question to you. I don't know. You tell me right now. Okay, yeah, that's good. I like that. Miller Lite sparked this debate in 1975, and we still haven't settled it. The best thing for me about a nice Miller Lite is when I'm on the boat, I bring those tall, I, I don't even go for the, the regular 12 ounce cans. I hit the tall boy 16 ounce cans. They usually come in a four packs wherever I buy beer. You put it in the cooler, you put some ice on top. The moment you take it out and the sun reflects off that gold top of Miller Lite with that white can, a beautiful sight out on the open ocean. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and is less filling, and it tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com beach, or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 96 calories per 12 ounces, fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer.